Listen to the word of the Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And now I want to share a poem written by uh, Lois Saylor entitled Pure of Heart. There are those who see no evil, blinded by a divinity in the morning flower, looking at the mercy of raindrops, seeing the God image in each neighbor. There are the ones who hear no evil, listening to the bells of stars, attuned to tender mercies, distracted by tongues of angels. There are those who seek no evil, innocent as the sweet red of watermelon. Unplucked like a cactus bloom, they delight in your delight, and mistaking you for the good you could be, they see the face of God. Good morning again. This morning we were being adventurous around here. I'm kicking that guy so I don't kill your ears. I'm trying. I'm trying, people. I'm trying. Um, I think we can even kill this, maybe. All right. So we are going to be continuing our series, um, Blessings, Promises of the Kingdom, walking our way through the Beatitudes. Um, hi. Welcome. I forgot that part. First two words of my, or first three words are hello and welcome. So hello and welcome. Um, so in continuing this series, one of the things that we've said about the Beatitudes is we like to read all of them. So we'll be reading Matthew 5, 1 to 12. If you have your Bibles, you can tell that, turn there now. Part of the reason we read all of them is because we want these Beatitudes to be seen as Jesus intended as one big picture. It's a picture of what life is supposed to look like for Christians in his kingdom. It's a composite picture that builds on each other. So as we've been preaching through, hopefully it's been a little bit easy to see how they weave in and out of each other. But I think more than all of that, what I want you to hold on to with these Beatitudes is simply this. If it's Jesus' teaching, the posture we are to bring to them is willingness to learn. And if we're willing to learn, we need to realize that if it's Jesus' call, this is the way of life he's called us to live. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 5. It will be also up front. I'll be reading the first 12 verses. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we thank you so much that our God who is indeed faithful and merciful, compassionate, good and true, is the God who loves us faithfully. It's the God who loves us mercifully. It's the God who loves us graciously. It's the God who loves us because he's moved with compassion. God, we thank you this morning for this chance to reflect on what it means to be pure in heart. And we thank you that you, God, who are holy, makes us holy through the power of your Holy Spirit. You make us holy through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And you make us holy by transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. 
So Lord, be with us, help us to hear your word, and help us to live lives worthy of our calling. In your holy and precious name, amen. amen. So as a kid, this beatitude was one I, in my head, was always the, 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 the impossible beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You know, the rest of the beatitudes for me kind of make sense in that they build on each other. But you remember what Jeremiah said about the heart? Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things beyond cure. Who can understand it? So I'm like, I'm with you, Jeremiah. Blessed the pure in heart. I'm still there. How do we get this thing that's deceitful and above all and, and beyond all things and beyond cure? How do we get this thing pure? And if you actually keep reading through Jeremiah, God says, well, I know the heart and basically I will help you. But if you stop at verse 9, which I loved to do as a kid, I'm just like, blessed are the pure in heart. Well, I'm eliminated because my heart's not pure. But is that what Jesus was talking about? Now, part of this conversation has been something that's been going on for thousands of years. One of the things I love about Christianity is that, you know, it's very anti our world today in the sense of we tend to think about the now. We tend to think about me. And Christianity wants you to know that you're connected to thousands of years of Christian history. You're connected to billions of people who call on the name of Jesus. It's not just about you, it's about us. And one of the big debates we've had in, in Christianity for thousands of years now is, you know, are we inherently good? Are we inherently bad? Now, I got to confess, I go back and forth. You know, last night uh, we celebrated people who've been with us for 20 plus years. And this is a great generation of our church. These are people who've been through so many changes. But what was amazing in them sharing their stories was how they came to this church and found their people. How they came to this church and how they loved this church, this city, this region. How they poured so much of their gifts and abilities that uh, much of our DNA and who we are today is based on all the work that they did and God did through them. So you sit in a meeting like that, you hear those stories, you're like, man, people are good, right? Then you mess around and go on Penn Live past midnight and you get into the comment section. You know, you start reading the comments on Penn Live, you're like, yeah, no, 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 people are bad. Like, they're all terrible, they're all trash. So are we inherently good or are we inherently bad? But I think what I'm learning to love about this beatitude about being pure in heart is that Jesus is not so much interested in if you think you're good or if you think you're bad. See, all the beatitudes are intended to place us before God. And for some of us, standing before God, naked, vulnerable, with my true self is terrifying. And it should be. But praise God that when you stand before him, if you know the name of Jesus Christ, you stand based on the work that Jesus has done. Amen? And you stand with the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. But also, the Beatitudes not only show us that, that we need God, they show us that we need each other. In a world that's going to say it's all about me and mine or all about the individual, these Beatitudes, like Jesus himself, is going to call you to lean on one another, and that's okay. It's okay to need one another. It's okay to rely on one another. It's okay to be weak where someone else is strong. It's okay to not be strong all the time or have it all together. It's okay because if we're a body together, God is going to gift us all that we need to keep moving forward. But this impossible beatitude is calling us to be pure in heart. And I have to admit, all the other beatitudes for me are not only challenging, but they get me going. 
They get me going, they get me excited. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I love that one because you know what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, I want you to empty yourself of all the ills of this world, all the false beliefs that you have, all the the values that are, are apart from me. You need to undo them and untrain yourself of them. And you need to be consistently doing this, pouring out the things of this world and letting the things of God marinate and grow inside of you. Right? And that excites me because I'm like, well, the world's bad, so let's just get rid of that. Let's do the good stuff, right? It's exciting to me. Or how about blessed are those who mourn? What a blessing to know that we're not alone when we grieve. What a blessing to know that God promises to comfort us. What a blessing to know that we could be in a community where people can love and comfort us. And even the deeper meaning of blessed are those who mourn, when Jesus says, I want you to be broken by the things that break my heart. I want you to grieve not just your own sin, but the sin of this world. I want you to grieve that this world is not as it should be. But even as you grieve, know that I'm with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And I'm here to comfort you. And I've even given the spirit to help. And I've given your sister and your brother around you to help. Or blessed are the meek. This one is very exciting because it says, you know, you're going to try to do the right thing at the right time always. In other words, blessed are those who live in love like Jesus. Blessed are those who are willing to take up his mantle and say, as Jesus lived, it's how I'm going to live. Not how I'm going to try to live. It's how I'm going to live. It's aspirational. It's something that you're like, blessed are the meek. Yes, I want to be meek like Jesus is meek. I want to be bold like Jesus is bold. I want to be, you know, preaching and living and, and, and serving God like Jesus lived and served God. And if I'm willing to be poor in spirit and empty myself of the ills of this world to only be filled by the good things of God, if I'm willing to grieve that that, that the world is broken, that, that the world is sinful, that I'm sinful, if I'm willing to grieve that the world's not as it should be and that God is gonna put it together, if I'm willing to be meek and, and to love and live like Jesus lived and loved, I will get to this point where I will hunger and I will thirst for God's righteousness to come. And the joy of that is that if you hunger and thirst for his righteousness, Jesus says, you will be filled. And as you're filled with God's hunger, God's thirst for righteousness, God then asks you to do something, to be merciful as he's merciful, to love as he loves, to forgive, to have compassion, to give mercy, to give grace, as he gives mercy, compassion, love, and grace. All of those sounds good to me. But this pure in heart thing is a little hard. And the reason it's a little hard, because I don't know if you can, you could probably use your imagination, but, but I, I'm very much, you know, a go, 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 go person. I don't always like to stop. Relax. Take a breath, some might say. A blessed of the pure in heart forces you to stop. It forces you to think. It's not about what you do, it's about who you are. It's not about who you are now, it's about who you're becoming. It's not only about who you're becoming, but it's who you're becoming looking like Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart asks this simple question, is my heart pure? Is my heart pure? Because all these other things might be aspirational, might be goals I'm working on, but blessed are the pure in heart forces you to answer this question, is my heart pure? And if you're bold enough to answer that question, Jesus will take you to the next step. Is your heart pure before me? Because here's the thing. We love to create God in our own image. 
We love to create morality in our own image. We love to think that we are the arbiter of all that's good, of all that's love, of all that's righteous. But are we good in God's eyes? Are we righteous in God's eyes? Are we willing to say, God, my heart is pure before you. God, I'm good like you're good. God, I'm righteous like you're righteous. Are we willing to ask that question? And this is why to me, this is so hard. But there's help this morning. Because instead of living in your head like I tend to do, maybe we need to figure out what is Jesus actually saying? So instead of just saying like, I will never be pure in heart, I'll never be perfect. Maybe we need to just go back to the simple truth. What did Jesus mean when he said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Now the word that Matthew uses for pure is a word in the Greek called katharos. Katharos actually has three different meanings. The first one is pretty simple. It means, you know, that which was dirty, that's now made clean. Katharos just means clean. So you think about like a, a, a dirty t-shirt or a soiled t-shirt. You put it in the laundry. Now you got your t-shirt. It's white again. Actually, if you're honest, it might be a little bit grayish. You know, it's not as quite right, but it's clean, right? So katharos is this idea that like it has been cleaned. So the first understanding of purity that we have to hold on to is this idea that what was dirty is now made clean. What was unrighteous is now made righteous. What was apart from God who is good can now be made or is now made or will now be made good. The second understanding of, of Ketharos was, um, and this one's going to take your imagination because I don't know if you know this, but I grew up in cities my whole life, so I know nothing about farming, but we're going to go with it. Apparently, farmers do this thing where they need to, to, to sift the corn or sift, I think it's corn. Uh, I don't know if they do this with wheat, but we'll go with it too. So corn and wheat, right? But the idea here is you take the harvest, that sounds right, um, you take the harvest and you want to separate the chaff from the actual crop. Yeah, <laughs> it's making sense to me. I hope it makes sense to you. All right. Um, in the first service, they confused me because they said you use a sifter, a sieve, and a screen. So I don't know about that. Those are just city folk, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. But anyway, the farmers get the crop and they shake it. And the idea here is you're separating that which is unneeded, that which is unnecessary, that which isn't good from that which is good. Now we're Americans. And even though I'm a pacifist, I live in America and America loves war. America loves war analogies. Like everything's about war in America. And then we forget that war kills people. That's interesting. But, but we're going to use the word analogy because we're Americans, most of us, right? And the idea of katharos is also if you're going on mission. So it's not just sifting the wheat, but it's sifting the wheat to see who's left with you, right? So for example, if we were all in the military and we had a mission and it's about 100 of us and the commander says, we will do this. And about 75 of us said, you know what? I'm good. Yeah, Monday's my day off. So I'm just, I'm just going to chill out today, right? And what a necessary work. Right? The commander says, this is what we need to build on. This is what we need to do. And like 75 of us are like, mm, now I'm good. It wouldn't work. So the idea of Katharos would be sifting out those people who are not on mission, those people who aren't good, those people who aren't willing to do the work, and holding on to the people who last. So Katharos isn't just that which was dirty is now made clean. It's this idea that you will have trials, you will have struggles, you will have things happen that might rock your world, that might shake your world. But if you trust God, you can let the, 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 the chaff fall off so that you can be the crop that's valuable, that stays. The third thing about katharos is that it's usually paired in the Greek 
with another word called akeratos. Akeratos just means pure as maybe as you think pure, right? Like, so for example, if you were to go to a cow and said, hello, Mr. Cow, and you went underneath, which is what you do, I suppose, and you did this motion, and the milk came out, you poured it into your milk, and you drank that, that's pure, right? That's very, very pure. I, I tell that story because when, when Shell and I were dating, um, so I'm, I, like I said, I grew up in cities my whole life, and it took me a while to really believe that cows came from, like milk came from cows. Like I really thought they came from the corner store. You know, like it's just like they come from cows. It's like there's no cows in the city. Like there's literally no cows, right? Um, so when Shell and I were dating, there was a bunch of us who lived in Harrisburg and worked in Harrisburg, and we would plan these trips. So one of our trips was to go to the farm. And like all the like suburban, suburban rural kids are like, why do you want to go to the farm? Us city kids were like, yo, this is amazing. There's like animals, you know, like, like cows. And they're like, what is wrong with you? And, and so that was my first trip. The second trip to the farm was even more amazing because Shell's dad used to be a dairy farmer and he would wake up twice a day. Um, well, first was 3 a.m. and they would milk the cows then. And the second one was 3 p.m. and they would milk the cows then. And so, you know, because we're good kids, you know, we said, we will bless you. This one day a year, we will milk the cows for you. And we were like fighting over shifts. And I'm like, I don't even know what y'all fighting over. I'll take whatever you want. I'm going to milk a cow. It's going to be amazing, you know? And they're like, yeah, you're definitely on the 3 a.m. shift, right? And I was just like, that's fine. And what they didn't realize is I've never milked a cow before, and I would be excited even at 3 a.m. So like at 2.45, I was waking everybody up, doing a little pep talk, like, let's go. Let's do this, you know? Like, we're going to milk the cows. And they're all looking at me like, Shell, what have you done? Are you sure you want him in the family? Like, are you sure about this? And I'm like, no, no, guys, let's do this. We're going to milk the cows. And they're all looking at me like, yo, calm down. It's not that exciting. I'm like, it is. You know, milk comes from cows. And, and we walk into the barn, and I'm starting to think to myself, and I was just like, well, I don't know how long it takes to, like, milk the udder, but I'm seeing more than one cow. Like, there's, like, hundreds of cows. Like, how are we going to get all this milk? Like, I was like, maybe that's why nobody's excited. And then as like, I walk in, there's like machines that start coming down from the sky. And I felt like I was in like Space Odyssey 2001 or something. And I was just like, machines? You farmers supposed to be simple living people. Who's got machines? And it turns out the machines were a blessing. You know, you just like put them on. They do all the work. You just sit there and you're good, right? But I tell you all that because of purity. Now, they told me not to drink that milk because apparently my milk that I get in the grocery store is a little bit different. And because I didn't grow up drinking that milk, I couldn't handle what was pure. But that's this idea of purity that Jesus is getting at, pure milk. Or if you're more uh, mechanically inclined or, or, or maybe chemistry inclined, is the idea of metal without alloys, the purity of the metal. It's unmixed. So when Jesus says about purity, he wants you to understand three aspects of it. That which was dirty can be made clean. That which is sifted so the value remains. But also that which is willing to, who, he or she who's willing to live with unmixed motives. See, the thing that Jesus wants us to understand is, I care about your actions. I care about your reactions. I care about your interactions. But I also care about your motives. Because Jesus knows something about us. We can fake it really well. We can do stuff just to do it. We can say stuff and not really mean it. So Jesus is attacking and, and challenging us here that, listen, I want your motives to be pure. I want your motives to be holy. Which brings us to this point. The, the first question is, is my heart pure before God? The second question is, when was the last time you did something of a pure motive? Last time you did something, not just because you had to do it. 
Last time you did something, not just because it made you feel good. Last time you did something because you're like, well, it has to be done. Someone's got to do it. And the challenging part about this is Jesus doesn't just hold this expectation in the stuff that we do with for other people. He holds this expectation in the stuff that we're supposed to do with him. When's the last time you prayed just to have a conversation with God instead of with your lists of demands? When's the last time you went to the scripture not to refute someone else who, who didn't interpret it right or, or not to, to show people they were wrong? When's the last time you went to the scripture just because you wanted to learn more about God or you wanted God to form your thinking or you wanted God to grow you? When's the last time you showed love to someone simply because God asked you to, but because you wanted to? Not because you had to, but because you wanted to. When's the last time you did something purely for someone else? Jesus cares about your motives, and Jesus wants your motives to be pure. And the idea of this purity, why it's so important, is not just that we were dirty and now made clean or, or we're going to be sifted because we have value or, or that we're pure like milk. But the idea is simply this. Jesus knows something about us. We as people, <laughs> we're trained to see only what we're able to see. What I mean by this is simply this. William Barclay says, you know, if you took Hank, and he didn't say Hank, he said man, but it's Hank. If you took Hank and you took him outside to the farm, you can't do this in the city because we got, I don't know, smog, pollution, that stuff. But if you go to the farm and you see stars, right? Stars. In the city, we get like two and I celebrate. But if you see stars, I will be real excited. Be like, look, stars, big ones, small ones, shiny ones, shinier one, right? But what happens if you take an astronomer out to look at the stars? She will know them by name, wouldn't she? She'd be able to name all of them. Same thing. If you take Hank to your farm or your rural area that has like wildlife and wild, wild vegetation, I don't know what to call it, plants, flowers, you know, I won't even know their names. I'll be like, look at that green stuff, you know, like in the city we got green stuff, but it's surrounded by the concrete stuff, you know. Um, look at all that green vegetation, you know. But if you take a botanist with you, what would they be able to do? You'd be able to name every single flower by name because they know them. So this idea that Jesus wants us to be pure, to see God, is Jesus knows you only see what you're trained to see. I drive a, a blue Toyota. Lyle Myers drives a blue Toyota. I notice every single blue Toyota on the world. Why? Because I'm trained to see what I'm supposed to see. You do the same thing with your car. And now I'm starting to notice that my kids are trained to see what I'm trained to see too, because this morning Lyle Myers got in front of us on the highway and, and, and Harper goes, why is our car in front of us? I was like, I don't know. This is an existential crisis, you know? And I recognized it was Lyle, so I was just like, I'm just going to get in behind her and just mess with her, you know? She's like, why, why is our car getting off the exit? I was like, I don't know. Where do you think they're going? You know, and then we came up, you know, Greenwood and went down and we are. And then Lyle also parks on the roof. Like, I parked on the roof. She's like, Daddy, our car's going to park on the roof. I'm like, yes. It's amazing, right? And Lyle gets out. She goes, oh, I know him. I was like, oh, well. <laughs> but the idea here is as humans, we're only trained to see what we're supposed to see. So when Jesus is asking you to be pure in heart, he's asking you to be trained to see God. Now, how does this work? Well, Scripture itself talks about these three ways of purity. The first one is that Scripture reminds us that God cleanses us from our sin and all unrighteousness. This morning, the Scripture reminds us that all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. That means all of us 
are not perfect. That means all of us not only need God, but all of us, what we've earned is separation from God. And there might be someone in this room who is struggling with this and saying, well, God, I don't know what all this means. If I fall short, where am I? Because the first part of the verse just paints the situation. It says all have fell short. All have sinned. For the wages of sin is death and separation from God. But don't forget the second half of the verse, which says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So this morning, if you claim to be without sin, you're only deceiving yourself and the truth is not in you. But Jesus' best friend, John, reminds us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So the first step of purity this morning is recognize, God, I fell short. God, I need you. God, I'm a sinner. God, I need your redemption. God, I can't do this on my own. Praise God for Jesus Christ. So if you're in this room this morning and you've never come to God and say, God, I'm a sinner and I need you. God, forgive me of my sins. God, I want to follow you. God, I want to come home again. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Stop listening to me. This is the only time I, there's, no, there's like three things I'll give you permission to stop listening to me on. Maybe one. This is the one for sure. Stop listening to me now. And let the Spirit talk to you. Let the Spirit sing to you. Let, 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 let your heart be in, foreign, in front of God right now. And I want you to just say to yourself, God, I fell short. God, I, I need you. God, I'm a sinner in need of your redemption. God, I believe in Jesus Christ. I confess my sins to you, and I want you to set me free. Because here's the thing about salvation. Scripture reminds us that it's not tomorrow. It's not three days from now. It's not when you got your life together. It's not when you dot your I's and cross your T's and you do everything that's good, then now you're ready for God's salvation. Scripture reminds us, Paul says to the Corinthians, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. You may not have tomorrow. You may not have three weeks from now. You don't have time to get your life together when the way to get your life together is to give your life to God right now. And if, if you, you don't feel comfortable saying that prayer or you don't know what to go, please come up at the end of all of our services. We have people up here who would love to pray for you for anything you've got going on. But if you want to make that decision this morning, I would like to invite you home again. I'd like to invite you to Jesus Christ this morning because I think we cannot talk about purity if we don't do that very first step. And that first step is saying, God, I belong to you. But here's the joy of that first step is it's not just for people who don't know Jesus because the day is the day of salvation for all of us. Because at any given point, we all need to be able to commit our life to Jesus. So if you've already given your life to Jesus, guess what? Today's the day of your salvation. Why? Because today you can say, God, I rededicate my life to you. God, I, I, I've been falling short, but I want to live for you. God, I'm not going to wait until I got it together. I'm not going to wait until I have three weeks of, 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 of praying for two hours a day. I'm not going to wait till I come to church for four weeks in a row. Today is the day I want to give my life to you. So this isn't just a call and a cry for those who don't believe. All of us who believe have to be in the business of rededicating our life to Jesus, I would say, every single day. 
Because you have Satan who's going to be stealing your love every single day, who's going to be questioning your faith every single day. You have a world that's not as it should be that will be challenging you every single day. So the least you can do is every morning when you wake up, every night when you go to bed, is to commit your life to Jesus Christ. Say, God, I need you. God, I fall short. God, let today be the day of my rededication to you. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of redemption. And the best part about God's redemption is it's not based on your goodness. David, after his great sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, um, he said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Even if you're living in sin right now, even if you're not living as it should be, God doesn't want you to say, wait till you're good enough. Or wait till you think you're good enough, because guess what? God wants you today. God doesn't want you to wait until you're ready to come to him. He wants you to come today. Let today be the day of your salvation. Whether you know Jesus and want to come home, or you know Jesus and you've been running away from him, you can still come home today, amen? And God wants you to be reminded this morning just like the farmers are going to sift the chaff from the wind. In this world that we have trouble in, it's so easy when things and bad things happen to us to say, God, where are you in this? God, why am I alone? God, why have you forsaken me? And just like Jesus, we may cry out, God, why have you forsaken me? But God is always there. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. But the thing I want you to be reminded of this morning, and we here in America, we here in the West, we struggle with this. The rest of the world, especially where the church is growing and booming, right, with people following Jesus, right, by millions, they believe in something that you might have heard of. It's called Satan. They believe in the devil. In America, we tend to be like, well, yeah, he exists. He's there. But I want you to be reminded what Jesus thought of the devil, what Peter said about the devil. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. A lot of us need to realize that Satan might lose in the end, but he hasn't lost yet. And until he loses, his job is to break your faith. His job is to make you lose faith in Jesus. His job is to break you down. That's what he's doing. When a lion is looking to devour, it's not looking for a little bite. It's looking for all of you. If the Beatitudes are a composite picture, you need to take it all together. Think of Satan as a, a composite lion who wants to eat all of you. Mind, body, soul, spirit, hopes, dreams. That's what he wants. So I want you to remember that it's not God who tests you, who tries you. God's not up in heaven and be like, you know, what do I have to put her through so that she can believe me? That's not how God works. God's not like, what trouble and calamity can I pounce on this one so then they will trust me more? That's not how God works. You know who works like that? Satan, the devil. He goes to God and he asks permission to sift you as we. God, if they really love you, can I let them go through this to see that's the job of the devil. Do not forget 
that the devil is working for your demise. Do not forget that the devil wants to devour you. But here's what I love about that passage that Peter says. Be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The reason Peter is able to sound out the alarm is because Jesus said it to him first. Jesus, right before he died, goes to Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. That sound familiar? Satan will try you. He will trounce you. He will try to destroy you. So that's why Peter then years later can say, no, 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 no. Be alert. Be of sober mind. He's going to try to devour you. And you know why Peter is able to say that? Because of the second half of the verse. This morning is all about the second half of the verse. In the second half, Peter said, Jesus says this to him, but Simon Peter, I have prayed for you. I pray that your faith may not fall. I pray that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brethren in Christ. That's the Johnson language translation. It'll be available in 20 years. We're still working on it. Simon, 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 Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Pray that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brethren in Christ. Do not forget there's a devil out there working for your demise. Do not forget there's a devil out there that wants to destroy your faith. A lot of us have like a, a, a light thinking when it comes to the devil. It's like, well, he's there. You know, he's bad. No, 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 no. He's an enemy looking to devour you. He's an enemy looking to destroy your faith. This is not a joking matter. This is not something you're like, yeah, he's there. No, 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 no. He's there and he wants to destroy you. But take heart. Because Jesus is also with you. Take heart because Jesus has prayed for you. Take heart that even though there's a devil and his minions or whatever working out there to destroy you, take heart because Jesus has prayed that your faith won't fail. Jesus has prayed that not only will your faith not fail, that you can be like Peter so that years from now you can help your brethren in Christ. So that you can say, I went through this and God carried me through and God will carry you through as well. God wants us to be pure by giving our life to him, by dedicating our life to him. God wants us to be pure when Satan wants to sift us as wheat to hold on to him and to trust him. But the last thing that God wants us to be pure is probably the one we talk the most about in the church. And that's this idea of holiness. Holiness is not legalism. Holiness isn't even all about what you can do to please God. You know what holiness is? You know what it means that God set you to be pure? God set you to be holy? It means simply this. God has set you apart. God has set you apart to be holy. And he's done that in a couple different ways. The first way God does that, the first way God does that is to set you apart through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus has died on a cross for you. Jesus suffered and died and freely gave his body and his blood so that you can be set free, so that sin can be defeated, so that you can know this morning that you are chosen and loved by God. Jesus sanctifies us with his blood and calls us to live in love as he lives and loves. And the best way to live in love like Jesus lived and loved is a word we don't hear quite often in our faith. If you ask a room of Christians, not you guys, because you're the good Christians. 
But if you ask a group of the regular Christians, not you guys, because again, you're the good ones, right? But if you ask the regular folk, you know, what are some things uh, that, that God calls us to do in our faith? I wonder what number obedience would come in. Would it be first? Would it make the top five? Would it make the top 10? Would it make even our top 20? God calls us to be obedient. That's how we live in love like Christ. So the first thing about being holy is that God has chosen you to be holy. God has set you apart, and he set you apart through the blood of Jesus Christ. The second part about being holy is simply this. Jesus purchased you so you belong to him. This is important for us to hold on to because whether or not we like to admit it, this world thinks we belong to them. This world is working for your mind, your body, your soul, your beliefs, your values. This world wants to define you by their mind, body, soul, spirit, and values. But if Jesus has died for you this morning, then you belong to Jesus. And if you belong to Jesus, the question has to be, God, help me to no longer live for the world. Here's the harder one. God, help me to no longer live for myself. Because this is what we're called to do in our world. Look out for me and mine. Look out for me. Look out for I. Look out for the individual. But Jesus says, you belong to me now. So the question becomes not what's my hope and dreams, but it's like, God, what are your hopes and dreams and how can I help you do them? The question becomes not about me and mine, but God, what can I do for our world? What can I do in my world that's going to impact for eternity? When we belong, when we believe in Jesus, we belong to Jesus. When we belong to Jesus, we surrender to Jesus. When we surrender to Jesus, we say, God, I'm with you. Here I am. Send me. So you have Christ's blood that sanctifies and sets us apart. You have Christ's love that purchased us because we now belong to God and not the world and not ourselves. But here's the best part, I think, is all of you who choose to believe in Jesus Christ have Christ's spirit living in you. And that spirit that lives in you transforms you. You know God because of the spirit. You understand these jumbled thoughts and words that are coming out of my mouth because of the spirit. You read your scripture and you understand what God is saying and what God's calling you to be because of the spirit. God's spirit, God's work is to transform you, not into who you want to be, but into who he has made you to be. That's the big difference with Christianity. God's not trying to make you the best version of yourself as you see fit. God's trying to make you what he designed you to be. But here's another hard one. He's trying to make you what your world needs you to be. Because God knows only you have the relationships you have. Only you have the family you have, the friends you have, the connections you have. Only you, you know, you can go to your friend right now and say, I love you, and they will feel it. If I say I love you to your friend, they might think that's a little creepy. And it will be a lot bit creepy. But only you have the relationships you have, and God wants to use that, and God can use that. But my sisters and brothers, we got to be willing to let the Spirit transform us. Yes, God says come as you are, but let me make you who I want you to be. And that's where the rub about this Christianity thing. A lot of us either focus on come as you are or we focus on I'm trying to do my best. And God says, no, come as you are, but surrender to my spirit so I can make you in the image of my son. And the last thing and probably the best part about holiness, I think for me, is that the entire gospel of Jesus Christ prepares you right now 
to do God's work. Not just now, but also later. And I said the entire gospel intentionally. Because a lot of times we think about the gospel, we run straight to the cross. But how the early Christians understood gospel is how I think we all should understand gospel. Gospel was, yes, it was good news, but the good news was the entire story of Jesus. So that means that the God of this universe coming from heaven to live on earth matters. This is why we can say, God, I feel alone. And Jesus can say, I know what you feel. That's why we say, God, the world's not as it should be. I don't know what to do. Jesus can say, I'm there. I've been there too. We can't just run to the cross if people don't know the whole story of Jesus. Jesus says, me coming into this world matters. So you got to tell the whole gospel story because Jesus coming into this world to enter into our skin, to move into our neighborhood like Eugene Peterson would say, and I love that, that matters. But Jesus was also empowered by the Holy Spirit. And because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, he lived in a way that could please God. And to me, that's exciting. Because it means that every single one of us don't have to dwell in people who say we're bad or our self that says we're bad. If we're willing to surrender to the Spirit, God will make us good. God will do good to us and through us. We can live in a way to please God because his spirit lives inside of us. We got to know the whole gospel story, but we also got to know that yes, he came. Yes, he lived. Yes, he died. And the reason he died was not just because he loved us, but to show us that there's no darkness that God cannot break through. There's no enemy that God cannot defeat. There's nothing you have to fear because God has gone through it and he's resurrected to new life. So this is why when we struggle, this is why when our sisters and brothers are living in darkness and sin and pain and brokenness, we can go to them and say, we have a God who's seen this before. He's healed this before. He's worked in this before. He's resurrected this before. And he will do this for you because that's what he does. The full gospel is about Jesus coming, Jesus living, Jesus dying, and Jesus being born again. Jesus being resurrected. God calls us to be pure in heart. But I think the full meaning of purity is something we all have to hold on to. So the first step is just asking yourself this morning, have I chosen to follow Jesus? Am I willing to rededicate my life today and every day to Jesus? Am I willing to lose the things that are impure, the things that are they're, they're dirty, and let Jesus' righteousness cleanse me? But it also calls us to be reminded that in this world we'll have trouble. In this world we'll have Satan, the devil, who's working to devour us. But if we're willing to trust God and trust Jesus, we can know that he's prayed for us. He's prayed that our faith will last, that our faith will be strengthened, that our faith will grow, that our faith will be so powerful that it can even help the people around us. But then lastly, let us take heart because this call to be pure is simply a call to let God work in us. I'd like to close by having the worship team come up. We're going to sing a song that's maybe familiar to some of you, What Can Wash Away My Sin. But as we sing this song, I want to again give you a reminder and an invitation. A lot of times I think we sit in church and we say, well, there's nothing really bad going on or something big happening in my life, so I don't need prayer. But here's the joke about life, right? This is a, this is a life hack 101. You always need prayer, Amen. right? And here's another life hack. This is like second level stuff, so you write this one down too. The longer you're a Christian, the more you're going to need other people praying for you. 
And so what I want to do is I want to invite you, when, when we have people coming up to pray, I think a lot of times we're like, well, nothing's really bad, so I'm, I'm okay, you know? Or sometimes, you know, not you, but some, maybe first service, because they're not here, so we'll talk about them. Um, but sometimes people are like, well, I mean, only the real bad people go up for prayer, you know? Or, or like the real good people, everyone needs prayer. So when we have these people up here, our intercessors and our staff, we love to pray for you. And there's so much we said this morning. If you're, if you're sitting there, you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, please come up, you know. We're not going to give you a prayer to automatically get you in the kingdom. God's already done the work, but we will give you a hug and say, welcome to the team. And if you're sitting here in this morning and say, you know what, I just want to rededicate my life to God right now, we will pray for you. We'll give you a high five. You might even get a hug for that too. But if you're sitting here this morning, you're saying, you know what, God, I know there's things in my life that aren't pure. There's things I need to, 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 to let die that you can resurrect. We will pray for that too. Because here's the joy of being a Christian. One of the joys of being a Christian for me is simply this, knowing a sister and brother that loves me is praying for me. Because the longer I'm a Christian, I find sometimes, you guys might not relate, you're good Christians, um, but I find sometimes when I'm praying, it feels like I'm talking to a wall. Feels like I'm not sure if he's listening. I know he's listening, but I'm not sure he's listening. But when somebody's praying for me, I know he's listening to us. So as our sisters and brothers sit up here, I want you to please take this invitation to come up and receive prayer this morning or to sit in your seat and talk to God yourself. But as we think about purity, let's look at it this way. The first thing I want you to do, what does God mean to be pure? First thing I want you to do is to commit to prayer. And your prayer is going to be specific this morning. What you need to pray is simply this, Lord, put to death all the things that are not of you that is in me. God, anything that destroys my faith with you, I want you to put it to death. God, anything that's pulling my heart away from you, I want you to put it to death. God, anything that doesn't belong to you, I want you to put it to death. Because God wants my heart. And again, heart is not just my feelings. It's mind, body, soul, hopes, dreams. And a lot of us are really good about giving God parts of us, you know. Like, for example, I said in the first service, I'm really good at giving God the future. You know why? Because I can't control it, right? There's the pastor when he preached a sermon years ago. He said, wait to worry. I said, ooh, that's good. I'm going to keep that. That's a bumper sticker. T-shirt. Wait to worry, right? I can give God the future. I don't worry about it. But what about your finances? What about your children? What about that person at work that's the most annoying person ever? What about your neighbors? What about the people you just don't like very much? What about the person you're in a relationship with? Are we willing to give it all to God? Are we willing to give our full selves to God? So pray and say, God, I want to give you my full self. And the only way I can do that is to put to death all these things that don't belong to you. The second step is probably the hardest step. It's obedience. Here's the thing. God's not expecting you to know everything about him today, right? And to do everything he's called you to do today. But you know what he is expecting you to do? To do what you know he's asking you to do. So if God is saying, love your neighbors, yeah, he wants you to love your neighbors. If God is saying, you know, love your enemies, yeah, he wants you to do that too. If God is saying, I want you to follow me, yes, he wants you to do that. If God is saying, I want you to bring peace everywhere you go, 
I want you to shine for my glory. I want you to live for your sister and your brother. I want you to work for the collective good of your neighborhood. All these things that God's saying with you, whatever he's revealed and put on your heart, start there. He's going to add more, trust me. But start with what he's calling you to do now and be faithful to that now. And the only way you can be faithful is to obey. And then the last one is simply this. We as Christians have to be just as good as opposing sin as we are about living the fruit of the Spirit. God is God. He knows what's right and he knows what's wrong. Here's the, here's the beautiful thing about it. He doesn't need you to tell people what's right and wrong about them. He needs you to oppose sin, yes. But he also needs you to be kind, to be gentle, to be faithful, to be loving, to be compassionate. Oppose sin, but do it with the fruit of the Spirit. So as we sing this last song, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. May we be reminded of the blood of Jesus and God can help us to put to death the things that don't belong to him. It can help us and, and, and call us to obedience to start with what we know that God's asked us to do to help us oppose sin, but to betray the fruit of the Spirit. But lastly, let it be your call to surrender your life to God. Let's stand and sing together.